0: That music is an invitation, an invitation to sit up and join me as we look into God's Word. This isn't your parents' Bible study or some pre-printed material from your denomination. Each episode, we tear into God's letter to humanity to see what would God have us know about Himself, about the world around us, and about ourselves. I am Brother Mitchell from the Discipleship Center, and you are listening to the TDC Podcast. I'm going to pause in our study of 2 Timothy here for another pause for discipleship. I talk about discipleship a lot, but it can seem like some vague esoteric mental exercise. So today I want to talk a little bit about some of the practical aspects of discipleship. What is discipleship? Remember the Great Commission? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There are two components in this great commission that go towards the idea of discipleship. The make disciples and the teaching them to observe. Math et tu sate means to teach all nations, make disciples of all nations. It literally means to make them learners. And then didaskantes means to teach or instruct. There is a subtle difference in these two words in that I can give instruction without teaching you to be a student, but I can never teach you how to be a student without giving you some instruction. We talk about being a disciple or a student of Jesus using the language of following Jesus. Now here's a question. If I were making a disciple of Jesus, what would be the first thing that I would have to teach them about? Well, the answer is the most important step in following Jesus is the very first step. Without a knowledge of salvation, a heart of repentance, and the humble realization that we can't save ourselves, all the other steps are like tripping down the stairs. The Bible's not for unbelievers. Probably a hard thing to hear, but one of the hardest lessons I had to learn in ministry is that without illumination that only the Holy Spirit can provide, the Bible can't make any sense. Telling people how to follow Jesus when they can't take the first step is fruitless unless it's all points back to the good news of the gospel. If we try to train people in the Bible devoid of Jesus. Then the best we can hope for is behavior modification and making people's journey to hell a little more pleasant. Let's take a look at John chapter 10. Here's some excerpts His sheep follow him because they know his voice. I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. I have other sheep, they too will listen to my voice. The whole point is that the Bible is for Christians because we know our shepherd's voice. It's not for unbelievers because Jesus is just another voice among all the voices that they're hearing. Remember Luke chapter 8? How do we spread the good news of the gospel? We broadcast it like a farmer planting seeds far and wide. The seed or the good news is the same. The way we sow it is the same, but the recipients aren't all the same. The hardened path. Some will be unmoved by the good news of the gospel. It's taken away from their hearts by the devil so they won't believe. There's the rocky soil. Some will receive the good news with great emotion and believe on a superficial level, but when the time of testing comes, and it will come, they will fall away because their belief is not rooted in truth. There's the thorny soil. Some will hear the truth, but because they're so wrapped up in the cares of this world, the truth never matures in their hearts. You might wonder, if all we get is hardened hearts and false conversions, then why do we even bother? It's because out there somewhere are hearts that are ready to receive the good news with gladness and sincerity. We call this the good soil. Only here does the word flourish, and a crop is produced through persevering. We aren't called to be soil inspectors. We don't go around looking at people or interviewing them and figuring out if they're good soil or not and if they are worthy of being bothered with. Why? Because at a time before any of us were saved, our hearts were not the good soil type. 2 Timothy four two says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. One aspect of teaching is proclaiming the good news of the gospel. How can we be ready in season and out of season? Let's look at a few parables from Jesus on what his servants are like. Blessed is the servant who is found faithfully serving. The wise virgins had extra oil for their lamps. Only the two servants that used what was given to them were faithful. Only those who did God's will without thinking about it are those who have the changed hearts. You can find all of these in Matthew 24 and 25. Notice that only someone with a heart changed by God can be a faithful servant, have the resources needed when the time is ready, exercise faith, and have a servant's heart without being prompted or thinking about it now being ready doesn't happen in a vacuum if we rewind just a little bit remember back to second Timothy chapter 2 it says do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth see as a general rule of thumb I've never met anyone being used by God who wasn't intentional in their relationship with God intentional in their Bible study in prayer in service and in fellowship with other believers Now let me ask a serious question. If somebody came up to you today and said, there's something different about you that I don't have, can you tell me what it is? If the opportunity to give the gospel just fell into your lap, what would you say? Has it even crossed your mind? Now I'm sure that most people listening would want to share the gospel, but what would actually come out of your mouth? Let me tell you some of the things I've heard people say when they've had the opportunity to give someone the gospel. Now, it may sound funny, and I'm I'm not trying to poke fun or hurt anybody's feelings. These are genuine people that have used these things. The first one, you just need to ask Jesus into your heart. Well, do you think he would fit? Do you need an injection? Does he come in through a ventricle or an aorta? How about find me the chapter and verse where you ask Jesus into your heart? Here's another one. You just need to find Jesus. Hey, I didn't know Jesus was hiding. Where would we start looking? Jesus isn't the one that's lost. How about find the chapter and verse where we need to find Jesus? You just need to come to the altar. Does Jesus not work anywhere else? Is the altar Where exactly is the altar? Is it the front steps or the communion table? Um, where is that altar at? Find the chapter and verse where you just need to come to the altar. Or you just need to say the prayer. What if I say a wrong word? Or do we need to speak it in the the King James type version? How about find a chapter and verse that says what that prayer is? Now, I know lots of people say these phrases and they're very sincere, but the gospel has nothing to do with a muscle in our chest playing hide and go seek or your geography in church or some formula of words that magically connect me with God. When we give the gospel, the questions that need to be addressed are, how does someone know they are a sinner in need of salvation? How does someone find out about who the Savior is and what he did for them? What is repentance? What is the difference between believing in your heart versus confessing with your mouth? What does it mean to be born again? And then what is next? I know some of you are probably wondering, how can I remember all that stuff? Well, if you can remember how many games the Bears won last season... Or if you can remember the gist of your favorite TV episode. If you can remember the voting record of a politician. If you can describe the fundamental differences between an AR-15 and an AK-47. If you can tell me why we couldn't win the Vietnam War and how it relates to the peacekeeping mission in Iraq. If you can name all of the Kardashians. Then I know that you can remember the points of the gospel. If you learn them yourself. See, we all have time to spend. Did you know that it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert in something? but it only takes 20 hours to become good at something. If you could give up 15 minutes a night to read the Bible and another 15 minutes to read a book about evangelism, in only 40 days, you can be confident that you are competent to present the gospel to someone. Now relax. Remember that we're only responsible for planting the seeds. It's God's job to convict people of sin, to draw hearts to his son, to grant the ability to repent and to change a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. But the burden and privilege of telling others that God has a plan for peace between himself and humanity is great, but it's a relief that I'm not responsible for the response I get. If anyone is relying on me to save them, then they really are in trouble. Remember, the first step is key to following Jesus. The first step is salvation. If you miss this first step, everything goes downhill from there. It's no wonder that Jesus is prophesied of as a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. You can't effectively teach any step in following Jesus until the first step is taken. Once the first step is accomplished, you need to build the relationship. This is a new member of our family. You have the whole Bible to discuss, but I usually suggest the book of John to more fully realize our great salvation. We all start with trouble areas in our life and need sound counsel. And just as we shared the good news with our new disciple, they need to know how to share the good news with others. Let's talk about the discipleship cycle here. When you plant an apple, what do you get? You get an apple, right? You plant an apple, you get an apple, plant an apple, you get an apple, plant an apple, you get an apple, plant an apple, you get it. An... Plant an apple and you get an apple, that's not right. You plant an apple and you get an apple tree, Right. A tree that produces many more apples that can produce many more trees. Unfortunately, in the church, we're under the impression that our job is to get people saved, and then our job is done, and we go on to get someone else saved. But that's not the discipleship cycle we see in the Bible. Our calling is to make disciples. Our calling to make disciples starts by engaging our culture and community. Each of us has a circle of influence where we can plant the seeds of the good news, always looking for that receptive good soil and for someone to repent and be saved. The next logical step is that we want to start pouring biblical truth into their life through Bible study with them, inviting them to church, encouraging them to start becoming self-feeders. And then we need to equip believers to minister. This is where things really start to break down. We have an anti-biblical mindset that ministry is performed by professional ministers, but the word minister is just a Latin translation of deacon, the servant. We should be looking to be integrated into our local assembly and finding ways in which we can serve others. And the final step is crucial to the church in that we need to train the trainers We not only need to show them how to present the gospel, but how to help new believers get on the right track, just like we help them. Now, how our conversation affects discipleship. There are three key elements to every part of the discipleship cycle. Number one is knowing the truth. Number two is communicating the truth. And number three is responding to the truth. Communication. Just because words are being said doesn't guarantee that communication is happening. There's four different types of communication as well. There's debate, polite discussion, skilled discussion, and dialogue. And each of these has their place, but knowing which type is most beneficial in a circumstance comes with wisdom. I want to look at each one of these and give a biblical example of how it was used correctly. The first one, debate is to beat down ideas and argue with an unmovable point of view. To beat down with personal attacks, however, is referred to as ad hominem. That's not what we're talking about. And the goal here is to win. And the benefit is that it gets multiple positions on the table to look at all points of view to make your point. The limitations on this type of communication is that it produces winners and losers. The Bible reference for this would be Galatians two eleven through 14 When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Talking about Paul opposing Peter in his preference of the Jews. Number two, there's the polite discussion. And this is to keep things at a surface level. This avoids a threat or discomfort. And the benefit is it allows space and time to develop the relationship and build trust. The limitation is that important things don't get said. The biblical reference for this would be Colossians 4.6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Number three, skilled discussion. This seeks to tell the truth, to plan and problem solve. And the goal is to act effectively together. The benefits is it produces good discussions and plans and maximizes group participation. The limitation on this, though, is it requires everyone's commitment. The biblical reference for this would be Philippians 2, 1-5. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. And finally, number four, dialogue. To let the meaning flow through us, solve complex problems together where uncertainty or differences of opinion exist, all to deepen shared understanding and wisdom. Now, the goal here is to deepen the shared understanding and wisdom. The benefits here are that it helps everyone to understand complex situations and differing positions as well, leading to a deeper understanding, respect, and action. Now the limitations here is it takes more time and more commitment. Biblical reference would be Philippians two nineteen and twenty. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by the news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. There is no one correct means of communication, but each has its correct place, but each form may also be abused. I know that knowing which mode of communication was appropriate for the moment has been a struggle for me at times. Not so long ago, the battle bible was always at the ready and preparation with prayer was not used as often as it should have been, and the welfare and betterment of others was not as high on the list as it should have been either. Before we open our mouths to bless everyone within earshot of our brilliance, let's consider Ephesians chapter 4 as our communication anthem. Now this corrupting talk, the word actually means rotten, or putrefied, or no longer fit for use, worthless. That's the kind of talk that we shouldn't be part of. Let nothing like that be part of our talk. These are just some Biblical principles that are important to discuss practically with new or less mature Christians. Our faith has real life implications during our Monday through Saturday life and not only a religious experience for a few hours on Sunday. Showing how our God is the God over the everyday things cannot be overstated. We have enough bench warmers on Sunday mornings that don't have a relationship with God that says I will take up my cross and die daily to follow Jesus. It is our job as mature Christians to walk in such a way that shows that those behind us that it's safe to follow us because we are following Jesus. The Discipleship Center and its subsidiaries TDC Aquaponics and TDC Farm are a registered 501c3 charity serving in the not-so-beautiful city of KKK and its surroundings. Have you or a loved one been struggling with substance abuse, chronic unemployment, need some work experience after recent incarceration, or just failed to move on to a more productive phase of life? There is hope just around the corner with the Discipleship Center where every life matters and we strive to fulfill the Great Commission, one life at a time check us out on the web at www.discipleshipctr.org today.